today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. It's all instant. You get to even look at what you just took. No, I don't like that. Take it again. No, I don't like that. Take it again. No, not, not going to work. And then you pop into the computer 25 seconds later. You're printing out your own picture. All fast, rapid fire. This is the way the world is now. The challenge is that we want God to work as quickly as our technology. So we pray to God and we ask Him to do something. And if He doesn't answer it by Monday... We're upset. We're like, what kind of customer service do you have, Lord? I can't believe this. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the book of Genesis. We live in an extremely fast-paced society. We have fast food drive-ins. We have access to basically every form of information at our fingertips. But if a page takes more than five seconds to load, it's too slow for us. Today, Pastor Gary will be warning us against taking our fast-paced society mindset into our relationship with God. God doesn't work on our timetable, and He doesn't follow our rules. God makes the rules, and in His sovereign timing, He chooses to bring things to pass. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part two of today's message entitled, Learning to Wait. His will is perfect. We need to wait. We need to learn to wait. You know what's interesting? When you look through the Bible, I haven't found a single verse where God instructs us to hurry up. It's all about waiting. It's all about waiting. Time and time again throughout Scripture, God says, wait. Wait in the Lord. Wait in the Lord. What does this indicate about the human heart? What it indicates about the human heart is that we are more inclined to get ahead of God and to be impatient with His timing. That's why God over and over again says, wait. You need to wait. Don't be impatient. Wait. Don't be hasty. Wait. Don't think, take things into your own hands. Wait. Don't make decisions in the flesh. Wait. Constantly the Bible challenges us to wait. The challenge is, though, that what the Bible teaches us in terms of waiting on the Lord goes kind of contrary to the very fast-paced society in which we now live. Everything is so instant, we want God to be instant. We have instant rice, we have instant soup, we have instant messaging, we have instant news. I mean, I'm not that old, but I remember the day when to watch the news to find out what happened during the day, you had to wait till the evening paper was thrown in your driveway. You had to wait until the 11 o'clock news at night. Then you'd sit around, turn on the television, and find out what happened during the day. And then I, I guess it got competitive, or we got hungry for more information. So now the, the other network's like, well, we'll do the 10 o'clock news. We'll beat the 11. We'll do 10 o'clock news. And then it became the 6 o'clock news. I'll see your 10. I'll raise you 6. I'll go to 5. 5 o'clock, do I hear 5? Five? 5. How about 4? Four? 4 o'clock news. We got 12 new news. Now we got cable television with news 24-7. It's streaming live constantly. News, news, news. And I also remember the day when you actually had to get up to change the channel. <laughs> now we just fight with our remotes. 
Because we want instant news. We don't get instant news. Why isn't this remote working? Why isn't, why isn't this working? Why isn't, why isn't this remote? You could have gotten up and changed your channel by now. It's so instant. We want everything instant. Now, my remote isn't working. The world's falling apart. What's happening? Instant. Everything is instant. We live in such an instant world. My son, Tyler, our, our oldest son, Tyler, got engaged. A, a wonderful young lady, Kayla, who goes to our church, she and her family. And uh, as soon as they got engaged, of course, they post it on Facebook, right? And now the whole world instantly knows that they're engaged. And Tyler came over at the end of the day, and we talked about it. And here's the question he asked me. He said, Dad, he said, when you and Mom got engaged, how did you let people know? <laughs> I said, well, here's how it went down, Tyler. When we would see people, we would tell them. <laughs> That's kind of how it worked. We'd actually show them the ring. We didn't change our status. We like, actually would show them. That's how it worked. But now the issue is, because we live in such an instant world where everything is fast, it's rapid fire, we now have a difficulty reconciling how instant our technology is with the perfect timing of God. Everything's so fast now. I remember the day. Ladies, do you remember the day? When having a baby was usually a two or three day stay in the hospital? It used to be like two or three days. Now, now, you have a baby in the morning, you're home by dinner. You're home by dinner. I remember when the church was first starting and I would be able to go visit ladies in the hospital. They, they would have a baby and I knew I had about two days until I could get by to see him because actually that was more respectful. Nobody, no lady likes to have the pastor come into the hospital room an hour after she's just had a baby. Like, give me a chance to primp a little bit. So, you know, it was good. It worked out. So I could give two days and get on over there. Now, it's like we get a call here at the church in the morning. If we don't get over there by lunchtime, she's going to be home with that baby. I'm convinced there's going to be a day where there's going to be a drive through hospital. I'm convinced. And you're just going to stay in your car. Have that baby. Thanks. I'll see you later. All right. Bye-bye. And you're just gonna, they're going to make an app for it. There's going to be an app on your phone, how to have a baby. Just press here. I mean, it's crazy how fast things are getting. Do you remember? Do you remember how slow it was? The old cameras. Oh, mercy. The old cameras that you went in to take a picture. They're just like, okay, now I got to open up the lid here. I got to put in a spool of film. I got to pull the film across to the other spool. We got to wind that up a little bit. And we got to close it. Now we got to find a light bulb. Remember those cube light bulbs? They weren't good for four flashes. And, and it would rotate every time you. Wound that picture to the next picture. Look through that tiny little viewfinder. You didn't know what you were getting. You didn't know the kind of picture was coming down. You just were by faith, like clicking pictures, rotating the bulb. It was all good. Then you, then you were careful. You had to wind that film all the way back in that spool. Make sure it's all wind back. Can't open up that lid too early. You're going to overexpose everything. Then you take that spool out. You got to drive to the drugstore. You got to put it in an envelope, fill out that envelope, ask a lot of information, social security number, how many kids do you have, fill that whole thing out. It's got gummy little seal to it. You're always worried like my spool's going to fall out somewhere in this heap. Then you seal it all up, drop it down a little hole, it goes off to China, and then, and then people develop it, and then a week later, you get your pictures. How many of you remember those days? Okay. A week later, and then you'd open up with anticipation. You'd open up, see what your picture. Half of them had your finger over the lens. <laughs> Uncle Bob wasn't even looking at you. Red eyes looked like they were demon-possessed. People in your... You're just like, ah, oh, well, half of these aren't even any good. That's the way it used to be. Now, 
It's all instant. You get to even look at what well, you just took. No, I don't like that. Take it again. No, I don't like that. Take it again. No, not, not going to work. And then you pop into the computer. 25 seconds later, you're printing out your own picture. All fast, rapid fire. This is the way the world is now. The challenge is that we want God to work as quickly as our technology. So we pray to God and we ask Him to do something. And if He doesn't answer it by Monday, we're upset. We're like, what kind of customer service do you have, Lord? I can't believe this. I've been praying here for what now? Three hours and I can't believe that you... And that's because our, the, the culture now has shaped us to be very demanding consumers. We want everything now. We're used to speed. Everything is of the essence. Time is precious. And so we want stuff rapid fire instantly and according to our own expectations. Now, you try to reconcile that with what the Bible teaches. I'm all for technology. I think it's great. I think it's wonderful. But we have to be aware. Here's the deal. We have lost the spiritual discipline of learning to wait on God. We've lost it because we're so accustomed now to getting everything how we want it quickly. And God does not operate according to our timetable, in case you haven't noticed. His ways are perfect and His timing is perfect. But we've got to reconcile the the fast-paced world in which we live with the idea that spiritual discipline demands the Bible instructs us to wait upon the Lord. And when we don't, When we take matters into our own hands, when we make fleshly decisions because we don't wait on the Lord, we think too much time has passed, God's not doing what we want Him to do, and then we take matters into our own hands, it creates a mess. This 16th chapter is a story about a mess. Because what happens here is Sarah makes a suggestion, Abram obliges, he's not really a spiritual leader that should, that should say to his wife lovingly, we need to wait upon the Lord, that's not God's will. He also agrees, he has sex with the maidservant, now the maidservant, now she's going to start to taunt Sarah. And the whole mess is going to unravel here, look again at verse 4. In verse 4, it says, he, that is Abram, slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. The word despise in the Hebrew is kalal. It means to belittle or to curse. Now, we don't know what the dialogue is exactly, but I can imagine. There's some cat fighting going on right here. Sarah is now, she is 75 years old. She's never been able to have children. Her younger live-in maidservant is pregnant by her husband, by Abram. No doubt Sarah is hurt by this, becomes jealous. But it doesn't help because Hagar is trash-talking her. She's like, well, look, look who's pregnant and look who's not. Hmm, I guess it's not Abram's fault, is it, princess? (laughs) And that's going back and forth. Hurtful, mean, contentious, all of that, all right? And then what does Sarai do? She takes it out on her husband. Because look at verse 5. Sarai says to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. She's like, God's gonna, God, God's gonna get you because you didn't stand. You, 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 you. And she's mad at him. That was her idea. But she's like, look what you've done. Fine mess you've gotten us into. You're not a spiritual leader, old man. You know, and she's giving it to him. And what does he do? He fires back. He basically says, Hey, it was your idea, old lady. He says in verse, well, I didn't say old lady, but, it, but they're, they're getting up there. But in verse 6, verse 6, he says, your servant is in your hands, Abram. He says, do with her whatever you think best. I'm not responsible here. 
Don't blame me. You're the one who hatched this plan. I'm not responsible here. You do what you want to do. And then look at the rest of verse 6. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. The word mistreat in the Hebrew is anah. Um, it means to browbeat. So it just goes full circle. Hagar gets pregnant. It was an act of the flesh. It should never have happened. It wasn't God's will. Then when she's pregnant, she despises Sarai. Sarah gets mad at her husband. Her husband gives it back to Sarai. Sarah then gives it back to Hagar. And then Hagar runs away and runs to the desert. See what a mess is going on here? Everybody's fighting. There's contention. There's all of this mistreatment. All because an act of the flesh led to this. Led to this conflict. And then the angel of the Lord shows up in this story and he ministers to Hagar. Here she is in the desert and God shows up. Now it says the angel of the Lord, it's the direct article the, which means this is a, an appearance of Jesus. The angel of the Lord is called a Christophany. It means it's an appearance of Jesus. We know it's the Lord because later on when Hagar names the Lord because she has seen him, look at verse 13, it says she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. So it's the Lord speaking. And she says to him, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And she gives this name to the Lord. You are the God who sees me. In Hebrew, it is El Roi. It is hyphenated. It's a compound name for God. El, E-L dash R-O-I. El Roi means the God who sees. And she commends the Lord. She says, I've now seen the one who sees me. God has been gracious to her. He ministers to her in the desert. And he speaks to her and even tells her what the baby is to be named, Ishmael, which means God hears. From Shema, El, El, God, Shema, to hear, Ishmael. And so she's going to have this baby, and notice, if you will, that God even says about Ishmael that his descendants will be numerous. That's what verse 10 tells us. The Lord promises Ishmael will have many descendants, and it's very similar language. Numerous descendants in the same way that God spoke this to Abram. Why? Because God made a promise to Abram. He says, I'm going to bless your descendants. They're going to be numerous. Just because Abram is engaged in an act of the flesh does not mean that God withdraws his promise. Ishmael is born to the flesh. This is a fleshly instinct that takes over between Sarah and Abram and Hagar. But nevertheless, God is faithful to his word. That the descendants of Abram will be numerous. Ishmael is a child of Abram, so his descendants will be numerous. And yes, they are, because the descendants of Ishmael are the Arab people today. But I want you to notice that God speaks prophetically here because God says about Ishmael and Ishmael's descendants that as a result of this fleshly union, the end result is going to be, there's going to be constant conflict. There's going to be constant conflict. Look at verse 12. The Lord speaks here and he says, He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. God says, in other words, He's going to be wild and stubborn, strong and independent, and in a constant state of feuding. If you really want the basis, the root, for the ongoing Arab-Israeli conflict, it's Genesis 16. It's Genesis 16. The conflict is the result of what happened here. Now, that isn't to say anything disparaging against the Arab people. God loves the Arab people. He promised that they would be numerous, and so they are. It simply is an explanation as to why there is ongoing hostility between Arabs and Israelis today. Um, Ishmael is the one that Muslims look to as the promised child of Abraham. Of course, we know that the Bible teaches that Isaac, who will be born 13 years later, Isaac is the promised child born to Abraham. 
But therein is a conflict. And what ensues here as a result of fleshly human instinct, trying to help God out, trying to get in there to kind of hasten God's promise, the result is conflict. The result is consternation and mistreatment and frustration in this home. Now, the question is, why, why does God wait so long? I mean, they're 10 years into it. Abram takes matters into his own hands. He shouldn't have done it. But the fact is, God's going to not bring about Isaac for another 15 years. Why would God wait 25 years? It almost seems cruel. Like, why do you tell somebody that you're going to do something, and then you wait 25 years before you actually do it? It's not cruel by God at all. Here's the reason why God waits. Some of you need to understand this, and it's in a simple term. God's delay is often for his display. The reason why sometimes God waits so long is because He wants to get all the glory so that you and everyone else will see that the result is a divinely orchestrated thing, not a humanly orchestrated thing. And what God was waiting was for Abraham and Sarai to get to the place where they were so biologically incapable of having a child that then once they did, everyone would know this is a divine work of God. That's what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews eleven twelve. It says, And so from this one man, Abram, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. In other words, the writer of Hebrews is saying the reason why God waited was so that they would be, if you will, biologically dead to the point when then when they had a child, everybody would know this is the child of the promise. Isaac would be the child of the promise, not Ishmael. Isaac would be the child of the promise. Messiah would come through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob on down to Messiah, not Ishmael. And the problem is, Abram, Sarai, they just didn't have the discipline to wait. Now, we cut them some grace. Again, it's been 10 years. It's a long time to wait. But I don't care how long it is. How many of you understand it's better to get God's best than for you to hasten something along in your flesh? Because if you wait for God's best, it is always supremely better than whatever we try to accomplish in our flesh to hasten along what we want. Now, I'm just going to give you real quickly, because the service is about ready to wrap up, I'm going to give you five reasons how we are to wait. Because we need to be practical about this. We've got to wait. We've got to wait in the Lord. This is, the, this is a lost spiritual discipline. The first thing is, we need to, waiting is doing. We need to understand this. Waiting is doing. By that I mean, waiting is not inactivity. It's not sitting at home, I'm going to wait on the Lord. You know, I need a new job, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to sit at home, I'm going to hope that the phone will ring. That's not waiting. You don't eat that way, don't get a job that way. I don't eat that way. No, you don't sit on the couch and say, you know, I'm really hungry. But I'm just going to wait. If it's God's will, the refrigerator is going to fly open and a ham sandwich is going to come out and land in my mouth. We don't do that. That's just ridiculous. Why do we do that when we want other things? When we want to seek the will of God, I'm going to wait on the Lord. Get up and do something. If you need a job, circulate your resume. Get out and be involved in, in trying to find a job. It's not sitting at home and waiting for this thing to happen. Same thing happens, you know, I tell from time to time, single people who are looking for Mr. Perfect or Miss Perfect. First of all, I try to knock them down a notch or two. There is no Miss Perfect and Mr. Perfect. The guy you think is a stud is a spud, so get over it. But the deal is, don't sit at home and think that Prince Charming or, or Cinderella is going to come knocking at your door. Go where people breathe. Get out a little bit and you have to meet some people. Uh, waiting is doing. It's not inactivity. And by the way, if you're looking for someone to marry, please don't go to a place 
where you're hoping to find a person who would never normally go to a place like that, right? You know, people who, who get this notion in their head, I'm just going to go clubbing. I'll find some guy or some girl. Stop it. You're not, you, the guy or the girl you're going to find clubbing is not the kind of person you want to take home anyway. Where's a good place? Hey. <laughs> just start here. Now, I don't want to turn this into a meat market. I mean, I want you to pray, but not that kind of praying on people. I want you to pray. Don't pray. Pray. But church is a great place. Number two, waiting is trusting. It is trusting God. It's being content right where he has you. Not being anxious. It's, uh, waiting should not be characterized by frustration. It, it should be characterized by contentment. I'm going to be content. This is where God has me. I'm going to ra- wait right here. Uh, a wonderful quote by Elizabeth Elliot. She once said this, quote, I know not what the future holds, what in one hour may be, but I can wait while it unfolds and trust implicitly. Waiting is doing. Waiting is trusting. Number three, waiting is praying. It is casting my cares on the Lord. It is making my requests known. It is seeking His wisdom, hearing His voice, staying tuned into God, staying in the Word, praying, seeking His face, hearing from the Lord. Waiting is praying. Number four, waiting is learning. Every time you find yourself in a holding pattern where you're just kind of waiting on something, whatever the issue might be, ask the Lord, what are you trying to teach me while I wait? Think about it. How is it that you are growing during the times that you were waiting that otherwise you probably would not have grown if God had given you what you wanted when you wanted it? Waiting is not always bad. There are things that God teaches us and He grows us and He matures us during that time that we are waiting. Waiting is doing, waiting is trusting, waiting is praying, waiting is learning. And lastly, waiting is believing. Now let me qualify this. I don't mean it is believing in the result that you want. That's a dangerous thing to believe. It is believing in the Lord. And it is believing that God's will and God's way is infinitely superior to my will and my way. And as a result of believing that, then I can believe that my Father in heaven always is looking out for me, that He wants His best for me, so that if I'm not getting what I want, when I want it, or ever, I'm believing that it's because my Father loves me enough that sometimes a loving dad says no, and sometimes a loving dad says not yet. And sometimes a loving dad says now, yes. But until we know which that is, we're trusting, we're believing that our Father, that His good and perfect will and His good and perfect timing is always looking out for me. We need to wait on the Lord. And I don't know, maybe some of you are here today and you've you've been waiting for a long time. Let me just encourage you with this Bible study. God hears, God knows, God sees. Don't be in despair and don't be impatient and, and resort to some fleshly instinct. Wait on the Lord. Is everybody with me? Wait on the Lord. This 
This has been another edition of Cornerstone Connection, the teaching ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. It's our prayer that this message from the book of Genesis taught by Pastor Gary was a blessing to you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to listen to or watch more messages, you can access all the messages you hear in this broadcast by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you'll find our entire teaching library covering Genesis to Revelation. If you'd like to add today's teaching to your personal study library, you can do so by logging on to cornerstoneconnection.cc where you'll find Pastor Gary's message available as a free download. The easiest way to obtain today's study is to subscribe to our podcast. Subscribing is simple when you use programs such as iTunes. The podcast is always current and completely free. When you subscribe, you'll always be up to date with the latest messages from Pastor Gary. Again, for more information about our podcast, log on to cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study with Pastor Gary's teaching through the book of Genesis. That's next time on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know